wages. On the close side, two wages. If you studied in hand, you could have been in the group of an animal fight on the far side of three wages. On the far side, two wages. The banana and the hand are perfectly made, one for the other. You notice... You notice the maker of the banana, almighty God, has made the banana with a long, slip, surface. It has now been indicated as a bit of contents, green, too yellow, yellow, just white, black, too red. If you go to the top of the banana, as with the makers of the Coca-Cola can, there is a tab at the top for reason of entry. So God has placed a tab at the top for reason of entry. When you pull the tab, the contents don't squirt in your face. Notice the rapper, which is biodegradable, by the way, has perforations, and should pair paper crap. These are perforations, it's here, so there are three perforations in the rapper. Notice how wonderfully the rapper sits over the grace where it sits over the human head. Notice the point at the top for ease of entry, it's just the right shape for the human mouth. It is chilly, palatable, easy to digest, and God has even curved the top of face to make the whole process. When you do the banana to a chimpanzee in monkey, it doesn't open it using the tab, it turns it reverse and opens this end always, totally disproving Darwin's theory tail of evolution. Notice the apple. Now there are 10,000 different varieties of apples, all made by God. Far side, there is a large groove made for the human thumb. Far side, small groove made for the forefinger. Far side, the large groove has a spot which is flexible, so it up the thumbnail. Far side, small groove has a pad so the apple turns, it doesn't wear out the finger. Now with the apple, you may eat the wrapper. When you get on the inside, there is this chewy, palatable substance which cleans the teeth. All these are very powerful, it keeps the bulk away. And when you get to the core of the substance, so you won't get the crash for as well placed in the middle. Sage. You put it in the dirt, what do you get? More apples. You have infinitely more chance of convincing me no one was on the Coca-Cola cans who have convincing this old God. The whole of creation testifies to the genius of God's creative hand. Someone once well said, how is it with a brown cow can eat green grass, produce white milk, Stirs up the yellow bar, and then eats it and goes red hair. And it's incredible. Think about the cow. What does the cow do? Why do it smell? Does what? Grass. What is grass? Dirt. That's all grass is. What is the grass then that substance form? Well, soil nutrients. That's all grass is. Rearranged dirt. What is milk? Chewed grass. That's all grass. That's all milk is. Chewed grass. Throw the billion dollars overnight, and then to machine that does what the cow does. Turns the grass, turns into milk. Cooling warm milk. Mmm. warms on a Sunday morning, and out the other end, you get milk. We don't have a clue how to turn grass, turns into milk. Think of the chicken. What does a chicken do? Chickens are stupid machines. They don't have chicken. They are stupid. I mean, you do like to feed them with a pee. There's no brain. There's just a little pee in the middle. Think of the chicken dog, you throw any sort of cuttings off the bedroom table, puts a scrap of green on, puts a fat control, but a leak, gobbles it down, 
no life line out of his world who is still alive. Everyone who is seriously interested in the pursuit of science becomes convinced that the spirit is manifest in the laws of the universe, a spirit vastly superior to man, and one in the face of which our modest powers must feel humble. The more pastors of the more I study nature, the more I am amazed at the creator. You see, the existence of God is an axiom. An axiom is a self-evident truth. Let me give you an example of an axiom. Parallel lines never meet. That's an axiom. Now, if I try to prove to you that parallel lines don't meet, I'm here here. Because the parallel lines do meet, they're not parallel. The parallel lines are parallel, they'll never meet. It's axiomatic. It's obvious. Doesn't need to be proved or disproved. And the existence of God is axiomatic. Now, I've heard well-known preachers say, you can't prove God, you can't disprove God. Well, with the help of God, I'd like to share with you how to prove God's existence. That's what we do without faith in three months. This is how we do it. Well, look at your building. How do I know there's a building? Can I see him, hear him, touch him, taste him, or smell him? And how do I know there's a building? Oh, the building is proof there's a building. I couldn't want better proof there was a builder than to have the building as evidence. I don't need faith to believe in a builder. All I need is eyes that can see a brain that works. It goes like this. Building. Builder. Now the same deep, rich, intellectual scientific principle can be used for paintings and painters. When I look at a painting, how can I know there was a painter? Can't see a mirror and touch a face and smell. Oh. I don't need faith to believe in a painter. All these eyes that can see your brain that works. If there's a painter, there must. If there's a painter, there must be a painter. All these brain that works and the light and light can see. Same exactly with the existence of God. I don't need faith to believe in God's existence. All these eyes that can see and the brain that works. Scripture, what we can know. For the invisible things that come from the creation of the world that we see, being understood as the eye of the brain, by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so no without excuse. So how do I know there was a maker? Because things have been made, don't need faith. Now if I will approach a builder to do something for me, then I need to have faith in him. The Bible says, he that comes to God must first believe in his and to all those that can receive him. If I come to God denying his very existence, something that's axiomatic, self-evident, I'm obviously rebellion and cannot please him. When I need a so-called atheist, I just say, could you name something you own that wasn't made? The belt, the shoes, the socks, the tie, the stereo, anything, just name something. You can't name a thing. If it's not going, then I know there's a builder. Is it a builder? It's obvious. It's intellectually far more intricate than a builder. The whole of creation testifies it was created. Things that are made testify it was a maker. See, if I drove my car over here and showed you my car, and you said to me, that's a nice car, what makes it? So I said to you, didn't go to make it. It's probably good at that, but yeah, I took millions of years. If you ask how long, what makes it? So you can think, see, it's been made with purpose in mind. It's got a windshield to stop the bees hitting it. It's got a windshield wiper to smudge the bees. It's got little screws to smudge them even further. In fact, I've got a friend, it's true. I've got a friend. 
I'm glad she was sitting when I was over there pushing her big crowd there. He said, actually, I have seen my brain out of brain scan a couple years ago. I said, why did you have that? You were children. Hey, hey. The Bible says the fool will sit his heart as no law. That's why we have proclaimed National Atheist Day, April the 1st. Same, April Fool's Day. Hmm, hmm. He said his heart was no God. You see, there is no God is incredibly arrogant because there is no God is an absolute statement. If an absolute statement be true, you need absolute knowledge. Let me give an example of that sort of statement. There is no gold in China. Now, if I say that to you, that statement is not true unless I can prove there is no gold in China. I must know there is no gold in China for that statement to be true. I must know what's in every river there, between every rock, every tiger's mouth, because it is no gold for me, my statement's not true. For the statement there is no gold in China, I must know there is no gold in China. For an absolute statement to be made and to be true, I must have absolute knowledge. And there is no God is an absolute statement. And for that statement to be true, I must have absolute knowledge. So I'm here to profess an atheist. I say, hey, what do the atheist test? This is here. So we'll start off with two questions. Seem rather strange, but they're most necessary. First question is, could you please tell me how many pieces of sand are the combined beaches of all the islands of Hawaii? As a few others, if you know. Second question. How many years on the back of a fully grown male Tibetan yak? What? As a few others, if you know. So it's most necessary because there are some people who think they know everything, especially university students. And it's good to show them there are some things they don't know. God used a similar principle when he was speaking to Job. He asked him seven questions, one after the other, until he said, Job laid his hand upon his mouth and said, I really don't know anything. So then, I said, well, okay, atheist test. Let's say, Mr. Professor Atheist, this circle represents all the knowledge in the universe. I mean, all the knowledge in the entire universe. If someone has all the knowledge in the universe, they're omniscient. They have no all about every hero and every hero before and every heart. I mean, nothing, not an atom will be hidden from their eyes. They have seen all history. They have known about the secret love life of the fleas on the back of Napoleon's great grandma's black cat. I mean, nothing will be hid from the eyes of someone who is omniscient. And let's say, Mr. Professor Atheist, you know 1% of all the knowledge in the entire universe, an incredible amount. Is it possible in the 99% of the knowledge you have to come across, there is evidence to prove God's existence? And if it's reasonable, you will say, yeah, it is possible in the evidence I have to come across, the knowledge I have to come across. It could be evidence to prove that God does indeed exist. So he is forced to say, with the limited knowledge I have present, I have come to the conclusion there's no God, but I really don't know. So he's not an atheist. He's an agnostic. And the Latin equivalent of the word agnostic is ignorance, which adequately sums up the intellectual capacity of a man who looks at the building and doesn't know the things of the world. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs 28, 26. And I trust that everyone has a pen or pencil and paper. Who doesn't have a piece of paper here tonight? Could you raise your right hand up nice and high so people around you can see 
Number six. Help me open with the first one as Paris in the spring, but you lift your hands up. <laughs> 
Once in a lifetime doesn't say that your eyes are tricky. That's the first word in the first triangle. Second word. Third word. Fourth word. Here the trust is so hard as a fool. Bible says trust in the world with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Now these funny little exercises were done tonight. I kind of amuse you, but they could save your life. You say, what do you mean? They could save your marriage. So what do you mean? Well, there are people who are probably going to die tomorrow on the roads because they trust their own heart. They trust their judgments. They want to take a car from them as plenty of room. And there's not plenty of room. They trust their own natural senses. The people are going to destroy the marriage because they trust their own natural judgments. Why do marriages break up? Because I'm right, she's wrong. She says, I'm right, he's wrong. That's why we all stop. War. We are right. That's why we don't war. We won. They won. They say the same thing. However, the tiff with my wife. It's because I think I'm right. But I remember back to the time I answered those questions and realized what a dope I am. And it helps me humble myself a moment and realize I could be wrong. I could be making a mistake. So realize that don't need your own understanding. Don't trust your natural senses. These are actually tracks with me there, and I just want to very briefly, before I finish this teaching, talk to you to find out about gospel tracks. I finally believe in the use of tracks. This is why. Gods saves people using gospel tracks. Let me read this letter enough from Israel. You see, you'll never find me in public without tracks. I always have tracks on my person. Never has anyone found me in public without tracks. I say everywhere I go, anyone who finds me in public without tracks, I'll give them $20 cash. I've always got tracks on me, not only because I don't want to lose $20, but because I can give a gospel track to one same person. God could save them through someone once sold in a swimming pool and went, ah ha ha! I said, ah ha ha! One of the tracks is called Mattis Hell. It's a little gospel track. You've got 29 different tracks. The city here always ready for me to warn the translates my ship if I'm telling me, pick up. Half a Mattis Hell track, which was torn across the track, separating the top from the bottom. It was very interesting in one way. So we searched the streets for the full track, which eventually found in the trash. The incredible interest was desperately trying to make contact with the evangelist friend of ours whose phone number was on the track. We must have called that eight times before we finally went through. We met up in Tel Aviv, where was truly convicted and born again. God was up in the world and has a compassion. The passion to reach out to others, please give me your prayers. See, God uses tracks. So should we. He uses tracks to save people. Just little gospel tracks. So make tracks a way of life. Always carry them on the person. If you can't get up and preach off a soapbox, give someone a track. If you can't give someone a track, leave the track lying around. Just pray that someone will pick it up. You can always pick up on one of tracks. They love the tracks because they're different. They're unique. So make tracks a habit for life. If you go to the supermarket and buy some groceries, don't go to work. Don't go to the supermarket and buy groceries. Go to the supermarket to leave a track there. Why do they get groceries? 
We have this book published specifically as a linguistic play. This is a play. It's just a large book. But it's a design for linguistics. It's called Comfort the Feeble-Minded in Autobiography. Consolation for People Who Do Dumb Things. On the cover, there's a picture of me squeezing some ketchup, smiling, and behind me is this big bike with ketchup splattered across his face. On the inside of this pack full of dumb things that people don't listen to this show on here. In San Diego in the late 1980s, a man named Tony visited an old people's home and began speaking with an older lady. As he talked, he held himself to some peanuts from a jar beside the old woman's chair. After some time, he asked the woman if she'd like a peanut. She replied, Hey, I can't eat the things, dear. I just sucked the chocolate off and put them in a jar beside my chair. Now the neat thing about this book, it's got literally hundreds of dumb things people have done. And we're sure of the reaction because this is so offensive to give to an unsafe person one pastor. Callers from Dallas and said he was reading out loud at a restaurant to a friend and the people at the next table began laughing so much he gave them his book and ordered another 50. It's got such wonderful linguistic potential because people will laugh their way right through to the last chapter, which brings the warning, which brings the knowledge of sin. So feel free to avail yourself of this book because it's such an easy one to get to one's own person and say, hey, this will make you laugh. And pray that God uses it. And also, if you want a free copy of this house biscuit, you can take. Maybe you'd like to give it to your pastor. Maybe for your church will benefit by the teaching. Please feel free to take that off the table down below. Okay, free audio tape. And finally, I do a lot of open-air preaching. I take teams from all different churches to go to Venice Beach. And there on Saturday, there were fake funeral by a huge crowd, nasty, because it was just so wonderful. They were nasty. The best thing that an open-air is have a nasty people. If you would like to be involved in that, if you attend from the church, well, just call 800 number. Give us your phone number next time you go up. We'll give you a call or network and perhaps just make it down there so that we can uh, labor for the gospel. So let's just close in prayer and ask God to send us word to our hearts. Well, once again, we thank you that you didn't leave us in the shadow of death. Set on the shadow of death and the light has sprung up. And this day we once again cry out to you, Old God, give us wisdom. All this time, so many in darkness and the shadow of death, and you've committed to us the word of reconciliation that feels so inadequate. We pray you give us the wisdom, give us the words, give us the will, give us the way. We might touch once with the name of God. We pray for this world is in such darkness. We pray for the church, which is in such light. We pray the light would go to the dark places. And we 